Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and welcome to Palace Confidential, your weekly look at the comings, goings and controversies from the nation's royal household. I'm Jess King, standing in for Joe Elvin this week, and here's what we have coming up. A new website and a new direction for Meghan and Harry. Some shock new claims made about Princess Diana and her thoughts on the hereditary monarchy. And Kentucky Fried Cambridge, we hear the story behind William's love for a family bucket, maybe. Uh, But first, it's nearly 25 years since the late Princess Diana gave an extremely revealing interview to the BBC's Panorama programme, giving personal details of her failed marriage to Prince Charles, including their infidelities. Well, the Daily Mail's editor-at-large, Richard Kay, who was a royal correspondent at the time, recalls the extraordinary interview. Diana was not very good at keeping secrets at the best of times. She loved um, relating information when she had it. Um, But the fact that she managed to keep this project under wraps for at least two, two and a half months possibly, um, was one thing. But obviously the context was another. Uh, She reassured her friends, uh, she reassured her staff that there would be no shocks in it. But in fact, the whole thing was shocking from minute one to minute 60. The context of the Panorama interview was that it was about three years into the separation of the Prince and Princess of Wales, a period which became known as the War of the Waleses. Both Charles and Diana were taking pot shots at each other, trying to strengthen their position with the public. Um, it was a very uh, febrile time for the monarchy and uh, as in general and, and for the royal couple in particular. Uh, they were separated but still married. Uh, Diana had famously... Uh, collaborated with Andrew Morton over the book, Diana, Her True Story. And then a year and a half later, Prince Charles had given his interview to Jonathan Dimbleby in which he had admitted adultery and that he'd had an affair with Camilla Parker Bowles. So the stage was set, if you like, for the latest in the, in the retaliatory tit for tat that was going on between them. The decision she took uh, to do the Panorama programme was one she took alone. It didn't involve any of her palace uh, AIDS, I think possibly the only person who truly knew what was going on was her sort of ex-royal sister-in-law, Fergie, the Duchess of York, uh, with whom she was very close at the time. And they, they were on the phone constantly and saw a lot of each other. The most famous thing we still remember to this day, 25 years on, is that wonderful phrase she came up with when asked about um, her marriage and, and the influence of, of Camilla and, and her affair with, with Prince Charles when she said, well, there were three people in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded. So that was uh, shock number one. I suppose shock number two was that Diana, who for years had denied uh, that she had herself uh, taken any lovers, admitted that she'd had an affair with James Hewitt, the army officer, uh, which was widely known about because Hewitt himself ha- had written about it and talked about it, but Diana had always denied it, at least um, privately. And here she was publicly confirming it. She also talked um, very openly about her mental well-being, her battles with the eating disorder bulimia nervosa. That was another first. And, and perhaps the m- most critical of all and most crucial of all, she discussed Charles's suitability as a future monarch. And um, although she never 
completely spelled it out. I think most viewers were left in no doubt that she didn't think Charles was up to being king. Well, the palace were horrified. I mean, they had, all they had known only seven days before the programme, as indeed had most people, that it was coming out. She hadn't confided in the palace at all for the very simple reason that she knew that they would conspire to prevent it happening. Um, so when she did finally acknowledge and tell them that she was doing this programme, she, she did her level best to reassure them that there was nothing in it that would upset them, that it was talking about issues that she talked about before. Many people thought, naively it turned out, that um, it was going to be largely about her charitable work. Well, that may well have been the initial intention, but that was not what appeared when the uh, after the credits rolled on that Monday night back in November 1995. Over the course of time, it seemed that she had achieved something. She, what she wanted to do was sort of reach out over the heads of, of the, the media, over the heads of the newspaper, and so that her, the people could hear her own words, unedited, uh, in her own time, answering questions directly to the camera. And the public reaction, initially shocked, of course, um, but was very supportive. 23 million people watched that interview, which was a staggering number. And by and large, within a few short weeks, um, the opinion polls were showing that rather than diminishing Diana's stature, it actually had enhanced her reputation and her image. Within the palace, it was an entirely different story. They felt that um, the princess had simply gone too far. It had a, a, an immediate effect on the royal family's relationship with the BBC. The BBC had long been sort of the partner organisation for the British royal family. They had always recorded the Queen's Christmas message, for example, and whenever the, the Queen or, or senior members of the royal family had a big announcement, it was always done with the BBC. That ended overnight. The Queen's senior lady-in-waiting was married to the then chairman of the BBC, and even he didn't know what was going on, so it undermined an awful lot of trust. Did shift things a bit between William, William and Diana. I think, but I think, as I say, the most important relationship that changed was the one with the Queen, because the the the, the main fallout from the interview was that the Queen instructed Diana and Charles to divorce. Well, the Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English, joins us now via Skype. Rebecca, thank you for being with us. 25 years on, and of course, the world is much more media-focused now, but does that interview still seem like quite an extraordinary event? Absolutely. You've got one of the most famous women in the world, a woman destined to be queen, going on television, ruling herself out of that job, admitting adultery and effectively trying to torpedo her estranged husband's aspirations of getting the top job. I mean, extraordinary just doesn't even begin to describe it. And former Telegraph editor Sir Max Hastings has this week talked about uh, turning down what he called a vulnerable Diana. Um, do you think she should have actually done this interview? I think the one thing the royal family has learned over the years is these big old tell-all, big tell-all kind of bearing of soul interviews on TV don't work for them. But I suppose you've also got to put yourself in Diana's shoes at the time. She was in very, very vulnerable. Um, you know, she was uh, feeling very frustrated about the situation she was finding in. So I think you can understand why she did it, even though you don't necessarily agree with her. And he also made some strong claims that Diana thought that Charles wasn't up to the job of being king. Absolutely. I mean, they were very, very strong claims. But I think what is interesting is that 
in the years gone by, Diana's friends have said not only did she regret giving the interview, she'd actually come to a much better understanding and was in a very different place regarding her relationship with the Prince of Wales. So you do wonder if that interview had come about two or three years later, would she have actually said the same thing? It's quite an interesting question, I think. It is. And do you think it changed the relationship between the royal family and the media? Well, certainly, definitely as regards her sons, William and Harry. I know that privately, you know, they they acknowledge their mother was a complex woman, but they also think she was a very, very vulnerable one who was exploited and manipulated sometimes by the people around her. And I know that's had a definite effect on the way they have approached their media relations as, as adults. Rebecca, thank you very much uh, for being with us. More from Rebecca in just a moment. But here to discuss this further is Sarah Vine, columnist at The Mail, and Richard Eden, uh, the paper's Saturday Diary editor. Thank you both very much for being Hi. with us. Um, Sarah, I mean, millions of people watched that interview. What do you what do you remember? What are your memories of it? I remember people being really shocked and uh, angry with her for, for doing it. Um, lots of people... Um, I, I think I watched it with my grandmother... Um, who was, you know, quite a sort of staunch royalist, and I, and she was she was angry because she felt that um, it was manipulative and all the sort of the way the, the, the sort of the visuals of it, where you know, where Diana was sort of looking down and up through those eyelashes and through her fringe and being and the sort of slightly whispery voice, and it was all very kind of, you know, she felt it was just it was just manipulative and that she was a narcissist and that she was just trying to push herself forward, and I think a lot of the reason people felt a bit like that about it is because in those days people were very unsympathetic towards anyone who'd suffered from eating disorders or mental health issues and they just sort of thought that she was weak i mean that was that was what i remember my my grandfather just thinking you know she's just being weak she just needs to buck up and of course she was a funny kind of way. She was really ahead of her time in all of that because she sort of understood, you know, when she went and held, you know, sat with the AIDS victims, she understood that, uh, you know, we, you know, being vulnerable wasn't a weakness necessarily. It was just, it was, it was just a different way to be. Mm. And there was no doubt that she, there was a sincerity in in what she said and what she did. She did, she really did. Someone described it to me as vomiting into the void. I mean, she really did just. Say everything that she didn't hold back at any point, yeah. and 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 I think it was very cathartic for her because actually, you know, as as Rebecca was saying just there, you know, afterwards it, she 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 did really blossom. It, you know, it felt like she'd sort of lanced the boil, you know, mm. as it were. Mm. To me, it really felt also almost intrusive to watch, didn't mm. it? It felt yeah. like you were sitting in on a therapy session. Yeah. I was a student at the time yeah. and um, everyone was very sympathetic. We all gathered around the TV and everyone had to watch it. Mm. Um, and I think what Sarah said, it reflected the divided views at the time because mm -hmm. sort of half the country um, felt sorry for her and the other half were unsympathetic and were very angry mm. about it. And the comments after the interview were poisonous. I remember some of them from some of Prince Charles's friends like Nicholas Soames, yeah. you know, really damning. And it was... Oh, I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, she really challenged that sort of stiff off a lip, stiff off a lip approach. And, and do you think that sort of defined the last few years of her life? Um, I think at the time we didn't sort of almost realise 
how momentous it would be because looking mm. back maybe it was mm. the turning point you know we see it now so vividly with um, William and Harry mm. campaigning for um, mental health issues and that sort of thing which none of that would have happened without I mean there are interview. real parallels I think between Meghan and Diana I mean I think that to a large extent Harry has married his mother um, quite strong and, uh, but, but they've got this sort of sense that they want to be you know they want to cut through all of the all of the sort of bureaucracy and all of the establishment and they want to get, get directly to people and that's what diana was trying to do with that interview she was trying to cut everything else out all the all the stuff that had been written and said about her and all the things that the palace was briefing and all the stuff at the bbc and all of those people who were basically blocking her story she wanted to get it out and she'd already done the andrew morton book yeah and so she'd already done part of that and this was in a way the final sort of thing and i think megan let's be honest really took a leaf out of diana's book mm. when she gave that interview to tom bradby mm. and she made the comments about no one ever asking yeah. mm. how i am mm. that was really straight yeah. out of that diana playbook yeah i mean there was that you know it was almost there wasn't there wasn't quite the the sort of eyeliner and the frosted pink lipstick but it could have been and there was still the tilt of the head There's still the slight the, tilt um, of the head and yeah. all of that and it's you know and some people say that's narcissism and some people say it's, you know, media genius. <laughs> you know, who knows? But it certainly cuts through, doesn't it? Absolutely. So two parallels there between those two women. Uh, and let's move on now. It's been suggested that Prince William's desire to campaign on mental health issues stems in part from his mother's experiences. He was very vocal this week about those who are suffering with the country in lockdown. Well, Rebecca English is back now to tell us more. Uh, strong words and actions from Prince William this week. Definitely. So he took part in a video call on Monday with some representative from Liverpool's leisure and entertainment business sector, which obviously has suffered tremendously over the last few months. And he spoke to them about his concerns that the effect of so lack of socialising is having on people's mental health at the moment. So it was a really interesting topic for discussion. And while not overtly political, does this seem like William is stepping into slightly less certain waters? Well, I suppose very much like his late mother, Princess Diana, said he was coming at this from a humanitarian side of view, but point of view. But absolutely, I mean, they are choppy waters. You know, this the issue of new tears and lockdown is is a very contentious one politically. But I think actually he managed to navigate it pretty well by very much focusing on this mental health aspect. Quite monarch-like, or does he risk uh, getting more criticism like his father has had? Well, he, as I said, he does have to be quite careful about this because, you know, this does touch on kind of government policy and, you know, issues that are dividing the country. But again, I think he's trying to find a way to get to the root of the problem from a very kind of people-focused way. So talking about people's mental health, how they're coping with the situation. I think as long as he continues to do that, then he's got a chance of, you know, charting these sometimes quite difficult waters. And I absolutely love this. And um, please just briefly talk us through his moment outside KFC. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That was on a slightly different topic. So um, William and Kate were out in London uh, launching Hold Still, which was a lockdown photography project with the National Portrait Gallery. And they were in Waterloo to uh, launch some billboards that are going to be appearing up and down the country uh, with some of these finalists on it. And at that point, he walked past the KFC where people were kind of happily munching away on their bargain buckets, completely oblivious of what was going on a few hundred yards away, and kind of looked through the window and surprised them all. And actually, William does 
actually have that quite goofy side to his character. It's just people, we see it on engagements, but I think the general public don't often see it. And it shows you sometimes how a picture can say more than a thousand words because it really captured that moment in time. I thought it was very funny. Absolutely. I loved it. Great, great moment. And um, his stepmother also been addressing some of the same issues this week. Yeah, so the Duchess of Cornwall was visiting the Pepperpot Centre in West London. Now, Camilla has spoken a lot in, in recent months uh, in our paper and elsewhere about the issue of loneliness, particularly during lockdown and how much it's affecting the older generation. And the Pepperpot Centre very much focuses on the African and Caribbean community. So I think it was really interesting that Camilla was exploring loneliness in, in that aspect of the community, kind of branching out a little bit. And there were some fun moments where she brought along some brownies that had been made by the chef at Clarence House that were being put into parcels that were being delivered to more vulnerable members of the community. You know, again, another really kind of interesting and, you know, uh, I think a bit of a departure for her as well and I think quite a welcome one. And uh, Meghan and Harry, also back in the news, of course, they've been talking about the internet. Tell us more. Harry and Meghan took part in a Time 100 online talk this week, uh, which is all about, uh, they, they, were, they were fronting it, but they also curated it. So they were bringing in people into the discussion that they think have, they have something interesting to say on the issue. And the subject was very much about building a kinder online community, but also highlighting some of the algorithms these social media companies introduce that, you know, people have great concern about the kind of the hate speech that's being promoted online now so this is you know a big big issue for something and we're going to hear a lot more of this uh, from them in weeks and months to come and something you know they're, they're skeptical about and questioning um, but they're also launching mm. their own new website Yes, so we haven't really heard from them online since they left the royal family and all the Sussex royal website and Instagram was shut down. I know that's been something of immense frustration to them. So they're in the process of launching Archwell, which is going to be their new foundation. And this has been through, a, a, you know, it's had a bit of a metamorphosis. They were going to do a charitable foundation. They're not going to do a charitable foundation. You know, th there's been kind of various issues they've been focusing on, but they've now decided possibly because of lockdown and the, the issues that people being online more than ever have promoted. But it's going to be very much about how we can develop a, a, a kinder and more sensitive online community. So do you think this might be a bit of a change of direction for them then? Well, it's something that both of them have spoken about as royals but this is going to be a real focus for them now and you know it's not going to be your traditional royal charitable foundation which is looks at kind of doling out money to various good courses courses this is going to be a very much a a, a topic and issue focused one for them so it's going to be a bit of a departure and obviously that that does have its plus and minus points because i think we're going to be hearing a lot more from them in the future and you know that's something that people uh, don't always take too kindly to well, thank you, as always, Rebecca English. Uh, let's get the view of our panel. Uh, Sarah, what did you make of Harry and Meghan's latest speech? Um, I don't know. Archwell. It's not a great name, is it? doesn't roll off the tongue. No, it really but. doesn't roll off the tongue. I do think there's something about them telling us um, that, that we should all be not to do so much internet when they do so much internet to themselves. It's a bit weird. And of course, Megan <laughs> had launched her own yeah. lifestyle blog and that's sort of how she <laughs> exactly. made her name yeah. after Suits. Yes, you know? I mean, and I think the idea that they're sort of, you know, that they own 
the kind of the, they're the only people who've ever been trolled. I mean, didn't Megan say she was the most trolled woman in the world? Yeah, ever, yeah. I mean, she's really not the most trolled woman in the world, I'm afraid. I, 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 once again, you know, it's all about them. It's all about Harry and Meghan, isn't it? Mm. In whatever context it happens to. I mean, that's the difference, I think, between them and the Cambridges, is the Cambridges managed to do these things in a way that feels actually, you know, genuinely altruistic and genuinely sort of generous. And, and for some reason, Harry and Meghan always manage to make it about themselves, and I don't quite understand why that should be. Um, yeah. is, am I being unfair? Um, well, when they divided up their charity, the, the idea was to mm. split it between Harry and William yeah. and sort of focus on areas that they were strongest. And it doesn't seem to have been very fair the way no. sort of Williams ended up with things like, you know, David Attenborough and Save the World with the Environment mm. and mm. Um, also mental health things then Harry and Meghan seem to have just been left with a sort of series of long whinges. Surely these are worthy causes as well, Richard. They are, but I do worry a bit for Harry's future if, if basically every time he's in the news, every new project is another long whinge. Mm. I mean, I don't see how that's... It's just that the, the thing about it is, is everything they do seems to be... It's a telling off. It's all a bit finger-waggy. Do you know what I mean? But the Whereas environmental stuff, is William, that not a bit finger-waggy too? But, the, but for some reason, it doesn't feel finger-waggy when it's... No, because William's project was yeah. um, a new... With the Earthshot Prize, was yeah. actually, what can we do to make it's things better? It's always very positive. There's always, a, there's always a sort of... It feels like Harry and Meghan are very negative, generally, in their sort of attitude, whereas William feels like he's always trying to find a positive. I know that sounds like I'm being Pollyanna, but do you know what I mean? It just, it's, just a, it's just a tone thing. It's a tonal thing. Maybe it will change And it, and it makes that. people much more... I think it makes people more open to the causes that he's talking about. Do you think um, maybe it's because William seems a bit more sure in the direction that he wants to go? Well, he's, 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 he's less... Harry himself is very is very is sort of a bit all at sea. He is not in his natural environment. William is in his natural environment. William is you know safe. He's very clear about his parameters. You know he mm -hmm. understands what his sort of objective is, and he understands how he's going to do it. Whereas Harry is on a sort of complex personal journey. I think they just need to relinquish the royal stuff. I think they need to say we've rejected that we didn't want to do it we don't want to be royals we didn't like the life we didn't like the attention we didn't like the constraints you know you can't have your cake and eat it they can't really have it both ways they're either royals or they're not and there's there isn't a really i don't think there's really an in-between space and i think they should just have the courage to just say actually you know what we're just going to give it a miss mm. so should he be enjoying a bit more of that californian sunshine mm. richard <laughs> Well, I mean, what everyone's working towards is this sort of deadline they've set with the royal family where, where they're reviewing mm. the situation after a year, which I think is February or March. And maybe that will be the time that there's mm. more of a, a break. Mm. And maybe that will coincide with their new projects. Mm. Um, but at the moment... Because, again, they need to be... The, the, the thing is, they're in a difficult situation because, you know, part of the reason they've got the new project with Netflix is because of who they are. Mm. But, you know... But being who they are makes it difficult to do it. So it's 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 a really tight spot that they're in, and they really need to get some proper proper advice from genuinely objective people who are not, you know, who haven't got an agenda. Because I don't sense that they're getting that at the moment. No, I don't. Well, I don't think that will ever happen. It doesn't. Right. They don't strike me as people who no. take advice very well, readily. Maybe they need to learn oh. to do that. Yeah. Um, Richard, let's talk about William. He's been in the spotlight a lot this week. Do you think he has performed well with all his duties this week? Yes, well, it's the photography. Um, I don't think they like to call it a competition, but the event they've been 
encouraging to reflect what's been going on during lockdown and during the crisis. And yeah, he seems to have his finger on the pulse. And the, the um, business with KFC was quite a funny moment. Oh, that was brilliant. I just thought, wouldn't you be mortified if that was you and KFC <laughs> chowing down on your burger and Prince William looked in at the window? Yeah. At you. A cheeky KFC, and then the, the entire I mean, who world doesn't love is kind of looking at the KFC, but Well, I how suspect mortifying. they wondered if it was a lookalike or something like that. But I mean, the key thing is that he's doing positive projects, and that's we've seen that with the environment and now with the photography competition. And, mm. and they're very much. Um, keen to pursue this the mental health line we saw kate visiting students in derby before and now we've had william talking about it as well and it's it is a really important issue during the crisis we're going through in this country and sarah i think they've very been very much sort of in view during throughout this pandemic mm. well i mean they're doing what royals are supposed to do i mean this is what royals are for you know when things are tough in the country it's their job to get out there and to you know be visible and provide people with inspiration and uplifting words and I mean they are that's mm. that, that really is what they're for because they're you know that that's that's their job and and they've done it really quite well I think and and uh, you know they're very they're a class act William and Kate I have to say I mean they've had plenty of practice but they're very they seem quite sort of centered and 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 quite kind of confident about it and I think and, and I think also Charles and Camilla have done very well I mean they really both of them they've sort of stepped up to the plate and got out there and done what they needed to do and and you know that's why we have the royals they are figureheads they are you know whether you agree with a, with the royal family or not that is their job they wasn't are wasn't it wonderful to see the queen yeah. out herself yeah. last week on yeah that first visit exactly Without Francis. her face mask. Yeah. Yes. Go girl. You yes. go girl. Another brilliant outfit from the Queen, I thought. Yes, well, I did. She does those wonderful colour blocking things, doesn't she? But yeah, I think, I, think they've done a, I think they've done well. I think they've done well. Absolutely. Well, I'll be taking my style inspiration from the Queen, as always. Uh, that is all we have time for this week. Thank you to all of my guests, Rebecca English, Sarah Vine and Richard Eden. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. Don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. And of course, you can come back next week and join me, Joe Elvin, for more Palace Confidential. Mm -hmm.